Welcome to History, Culture, and Trauma with Ingrid Cochran. Over the next hour, Ingrid and guests will discuss how historical trauma impacts the human experience and how we can move towards collective healing. Now, here is your host, Ingrid Cochran. Thank you for joining us today. I'm Ingrid Cochran, your host. Um, We are happy to be back. Uh, Pace's Connection took the month of September off in honor of Labor Day, and the entire staff really took a break. And so we are returning in the month of October and jumping right back in. So we're excited to have us um, back and to be able to um, really jump in with a new guest, which is an exciting topic today as well. My co-host, Matthew Portell, Director of Community, is also with me. Um, Matthew, please introduce yourself to the audience. All right. I am Matthew, and I am really excited to be back. Uh, You know, it's great to have some time off, but it's also good to get back, especially on this podcast where we get to talk to amazing people like today's guest. Yes, I'm super excited. Today, we're going to um, really kind of dive into a an exciting and a really uh, effective, um, well-evidenced uh, trauma treatment, EMDR. Um, we're going to talk today with Yunetta Smith, who is a, tra- a therapist and entrepreneur and the CEO of Springforth Counseling. Matthew, please introduce Yunetta. Absolutely. I love that she's coined a therapeneur because I think that is amazing. <laughs> she is a CEO and a founder of Springforth Counseling and Groundbreakers Coaching and consulting. Um, She's a licensed professional clinical counselor in the states of Tennessee, Kentucky, and I think that's Idaho. Uh, Could, yes, ID? Yes. Yes, yes, yes. (laughs) Uh, As well as nationally certified counselor. Uh, She's a clinical trauma professional and an EMDR therapist and approved consultant. She specializes in helping black and brown folks navigate childhood trauma that manifests in adulthood, Mm -hmm. working exclusively with public figures, professionals, pastors, and practitioners. She works diligently to spread awareness through various media platforms, including a weekly uh, segment called Talk It Out Tuesday on the Ricky Smiley Morning Show, uh, (laughs) co-hosting the Deeper Than the Diet podcast and self-publishing her self-care workbook, Take the Struggle Mm -hmm. Out of Self-Care. Wow, she, you're not a you do it. <laughs> so yes, yes. I am a, every time I see a, a issue or a problem, I'm like, oh, let me, let me figure out how I can be the solution in some way, shape or form. So I create a new business every time I find a problem. <laughs> <laughs> well, welcome to the podcast. And, and, you know, we kind of start off the podcast very similar uh, in our questions. And the first question we love to ask any of our guests is, what was your experience when you first heard about the ACE study and the impact that ACEs has um, on on everyone, right? Yeah. But given your your profession, what did you? What was your experience when you when you heard about the ACE study? Yeah, yeah, I had mixed emotions when I heard of the ACE study. It was like mind blowing, like one of those moments, like oh my god this makes so much sense. And a part of me was um, excited to get the information, but then a part of me was upset and angry. Like, why am I just hearing about this? Why don't we talk about this more? You know, why aren't more people aware of the impact of, you know, adverse childhood experiences? So I had a combination of emotions, but when I learned about it, um, you know, honestly, it was when I was willing to practice you know, um, and since I've learned about it, I make sure I give it to all of my um, my clients when they come in. We do a, you know, a, a score for them just to see where they are. Well, and and it sounds like you have really dug into the impacts of trauma, um, even maybe even before you even knew about that the A study, which speaks to the to the work you've done, and you've specifically specialized in EMDR. Mm-hmm. Um, so I. I I would love if you could just tell us what is EMDR um, and and what how did you get into the process of utilizing EMDR as a therapeutic approach? Yeah, yeah. So EMDR stands for Eye Movement Desensitization and Reprocessing. Um, so I was trained in EMDR back in 2017. Um, me and one of my therapist friends, um, I call my therapist friends, uh, And we were looking for a new training, you know, like what training are you going to take? What training are you going to take? And one of my friends um, brought up EMDR, always been um, trauma focused and focused on working with folks with trauma since I started. 
Um, but I had found that I was like in this space where I was feeling like it was like pressing a tape recorder during a session where my clients were showing up with the same issues and the same problems, just dressed in a different fashion. Um, and when I learned about EMDR, I was like, okay, I got it. This makes a lot of sense. <laughs> you know, I got to look more into this. And when I went to training, I had a great experience. Um, when I say great, I mean like in therapist language, you know, I had a, I was crying and, you know, upset and, <laughs> and brought up all kind of old wounds. So I had like a really good experience in training. Um, and I saw the impact that I had just in that short period of time um, with training and learning about the nervous system and learning about how trauma is stored in your body and being able to like get a relief from that. Um, that I said, yeah, I'm going to have to make sure I go all the way with this and integrate it with all of my clients. Well, and and I think too, I, I will openly say I've not personally experienced it, but experienced it with um, an individual that I've I've supported, have gone through that process. To, so to see the process of healing um, in the moment, and, and you get to experience that every time you utilize this process uh, with someone you actually get to experience the healing happen and as 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 someone who has never experienced that uh, process i was blown away to watch how the brain body can heal by simply going through a a therapeutic process um, that involves the brain science because that's really what it's based in is mm -hmm. activating that right and left brain and, and making sure those emotions in your body are connected to each other. So for you to get to experience that, I, I can't imagine um, how exhilarating it must be to watch people heal in front of you um, yeah. because it truly is healing uh, people of not who they are, but what has happened to them. Exactly. Exactly. I'm glad you mentioned that, like, cause it's, it's not who you are. It's what happened to you. And a lot of times people come to therapy in a, in a state of feeling broken, like feeling like they're not doing something right, or it's their fault. But when you understand, like, I love the psychoeducation that comes along with EMDR. So we don't just jump into therapy. We do, we lay the groundwork. We do a lot of psychoeducation. We do a lot of resourcing and stabilization as well. And when my clients recognize that, oh, this is how everyone's body works when they experience something scary. Like this is my body's natural way of processing information. And this is my body's and my mind's natural way of protecting me from harm. And it's just wired, you know, in a, in a certain way, then it just takes a lot of the burden off of them, you know, and allowing them to trust the process. Like we, we are created to heal ourselves. Your body can heal and process through this. Um, we just have to kind of go through these steps in order for that to happen. Um, and I think that allows them to be open to, to healing that we all can receive. You know what I mean? Yeah. Thank you for for kind of that that picture of, of the process. I believe that many people do come to therapy and counseling, especially um, those um, who are coming from backgrounds where there is historical trauma. So African-American communities and African-American um, people, especially those who are um, in, you know, really in the church. And I know that uh, in your bio, it talked about how, you do provide services to to pastors. I think that um, that historical trauma piece is very important. And I know that you prioritize working with um, people in the black and brown community. Why do you think it's important for people um, who are coming from backgrounds of historical trauma and experiencing racism and discrimination? Why do you think it's important for them to uh, involve themselves in trauma treatment? Yeah, I think it's really important um, because for folks who are um, living in black and brown bodies, like just operating in this <laughs> this country, you know, mm -hmm. is activating. You know, there are certain things. And when you think of um, the racism, when you think of uh, the enslavement, like there are so many things historically that we've had to do just to be able to function in this society, in this world, um, in this country. And a lot of those things mirror how we respond after we've experienced a trauma. So a lot of my clients don't even recognize that, 
you know, the hypervigilance or the um, the um, the extra concern over how they present or how they show up in the world. All of that is tied to racial and like historical and generational trauma. So that in and of itself is something where anybody black and brown needs to kind of be working through. I really honestly was listening to what you're saying and, and was in the process of reflecting, uh, mm-hmm. but I, I didn't want to interrupt what you were saying. But when you talk about being in, in, um, in black and brown bodies, it made me automatically automatically go to my grandmother's hands. And from somebody mm-hmm. who is white, thinking about that perspective is so important for me as I'm navigating the world and, and, and interacting with people, too, is we're living in our bodies and the bodies are what, who we what we live in. So that's I, that's all I was uh, connecting yeah. to so please continue um, because yeah. that really resonated with me because we have to see the impact that the body we live in how it nav- how that impacts us as we navigate the world yeah yeah it's, it's subcortical it's subconscious right so even just paying attention to how your body feels when you walk into different spaces like having a black body how do I feel when I walk into a room with all white people you know, or having a white body. How do I feel when I walk into a room with all black people? You know, all of that. Our body is constantly um, communicating with our brain and telling us what's safe, what's not safe. You know, how should we move and what should we do to keep ourselves alive? You know, we're wired to survive. So um, I think that's really important to look at even in my in my counseling setting we're having a conversation about like what it feels like to sit in a room with a black female counselor and what comes up for you, because all of that is tied to your um, historical experiences with people that look like me, you know, and you can only go um, as far into your trauma as safe you feel in a setting. So if you don't feel safe sitting in a room with me, um, then you're not going to necessarily go too deep into the trauma work, you know, that needs to happen. So I make sure and I also make sure that I help other therapists to be able to have those conversations with their clients as well, um, because it really makes a difference. Yeah, I think it's so important that we talk about um, historical trauma and how our experience of our ancestors uh, really lives in us. And so when we discuss why it's important for black and brown people to engage in in trauma treatment and counseling across the board, I think we have to acknowledge that, like you said, because it's so pervasive, people may not consider their um, their experiences as traumatic. Mm-hmm. Or they may, you know, because it's just kind of the background noise. It's always there. It's and it's and it's always and because it's connected to skin color, it's been there, you know, since childhood. It's part of their core memories. Mm-hmm. It is very pervasive. And so I think it's important to to that you brought that up and that we really do talk about how you know, just being in this world, navigating this world in black and brown skin is a is a reason to actually engage in counseling and therapy. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I do want to talk about um, EMDR a little more. And so how do you know when you should be getting EMDR? Like, how do you know it's for you? Yeah, yeah. I think EMDR, because I'm a little partial, right? <laughs> I think everybody can benefit from it in some way, shape or form. Um, We have eight phases, so there may not be um, it may not be necessary to go through all eight phases for everyone. But I think there is something that everyone can benefit from in one of the phases of EMDR. Um, So a lot of times people because a lot of the research with EMDR is geared around uh, PTSD, you know, post-traumatic stress disorder and severe trauma like of um, veterans and things of that nature. But EMDR can be used for anything that creates a barrier to you being able to um, live in a relaxed state or live in a stabilized body. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. 
In this polarizing age of misinformation, it is critical to examine the lessons of the past on history, culture, and trauma. Ingrid Cochran, CEO of Paces Connection, and her guests will explore historical trauma and outline how our collective past shades our perception of today's world and our shared experiences. In this podcast, we will examine the impact of past atrocious cultural events and the impact of the systemic trauma of racism and poverty on the human experience. Ingrid and her guest will also outline what is needed for our collective healing. Please join us for History, Culture, and Trauma, Thursdays at 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Voice America programs are now available on your favorite connected device, including Amazon, Alexa, and Google Home. Through streams with Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio, listening to your favorite show is as easy as saying the show name followed by the word podcast. Hey, Alexa, play Finding Your Frequency podcast. If that doesn't work, try adding on TuneIn or on iHeartRadio or on Apple Podcasts. These days, everyone is looking for information on staying young, healthy, and fit. The Voice America Health and Wellness Network is here to help you on your quest to better health and a better you. We talk about everything from diet, fitness, and aging to substance abuse, personal growth, mental health, and much more. Learn from our experts who cover health and wellness from traditional and holistic perspectives. Tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. Healthy living starts here. Your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. You're listening to History, Culture, and Trauma with Ingrid Cochran. If you have questions for Ingrid or her guests or want to share your story, join us on the show at 866-472-5791. That's 866-472-5791. Now, back to the show. Here again is Ingrid Cochran. We are back. Thank you so much for joining us. Um, Before the break, we were speaking with um, Unetta Smith, and she was telling us about the trauma treatment EMDR um, Yunetta, before we went to break, you were discussing, you know, really, you know, who, how do you know when EMDR is for you? So let's jump back into that. You were talking about how it's really for everyone. Um, can you um, expound more on that? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, you know, I said I was partial, so I, I can see because I'm an EMDR therapist and I view things from that view, you know, from that vantage point. I can kind of see how EMDR can be, be beneficial for everyone. Um, so typically people may have felt like EMDR was just something if you have like um, what we classify as like big T trauma or little T trauma. And I feel like if it's, I really don't operate in that space. I feel like if it's um, harmful for you, if it's distressing for you, if it creates um adverse symptoms, like in your system, in your body, then it's worth um, processing, right? So that can look like anything. It can look like um, being bullied, right? It can look like being in a um, in a, an environment where you were the only one and you feel like you weren't connected and you didn't belong. Um, it can be, um, you know, feeling like you're not good enough or always being the responsible one. Like there are so many facets of how we can integrate EMDR into treatment. So I feel like if you're in therapy and there's an issue or a challenge or something that you've struggled with um, consistently, then EMDR is something that can help you kind of overcome that. Yeah, thanks for that. I I definitely am very interested in EMDR. I remember when I first heard about it, it was probably about 2015 or 16, and I was working for the Mm -hmm. state of Tennessee and I was traveling the state to check in with the child advocacy centers and throughout the state. And I went mm-hmm. to a very rural town in Tennessee and the um, the director of the child advocacy center was so excited about this new treatment that she um, had, you know, it had been donated to her, her center and she, mm-hmm. you know, just raved about it. So I thought it would be great to have someone on to talk about it. 
And I do think that it's important kind of, you know, like I said before, how you are prioritizing certain groups. And so, and Matthew, this may be an interesting conversation for you. I really want to know, um, you know, in your work with the faith community, traditionally, um, when we think about the field of counseling and psychology, there are some areas where we where we constantly hit in barriers, certain communities. And so the faith community is one of those communities. And so mm-hmm. how do you, um, what has been your experience working in the faith community um, as a therapist? Yeah, yeah. You know, I think my work in the faith community started long be- before I became a therapist. You know, I grew up in church. And I grew up very heavily involved in church, and I've always been observant, and I've always observed situations and wanted to understand how things work. Um, and one dilemma for me was w- growing up in church, seeing, you know, all of the benefits of um, community and connection and healing, but then also seeing this cycle of, um, for myself and for the people I was connected with, ha- coming back with the same issue. Right. So like, you know, a lot of churches have what we call altar call and you come and you lay your stuff on the altar and you pray, and you give it to God and then you're supposed to walk away and be better. Right. But then what I found is that, you know, people were coming back with the same issues and the same problems and not having strategy or not really being able to process what exactly they were bringing, you know, to to the altar or bringing to God. Um, so. I think the the fear that kind of comes with outsourcing, so to speak, or having any other um, types of ways to heal is kind of like in, ingrained in our culture of having this all or nothing mentality, right? It's either you are heavily involved with God and you depend on him for everything, or if you do anything outside of that, then it's kind of an uh, indication that you lack faith or you lack trust, you know, in God. So I think as we are learning more about how the body works or how healing works and and understanding that mental health is health, right? That just as it's okay to go to a doctor, like it's okay to talk to somebody about what's going on in your mental space, in your mind. I think the more we understand the the connection between that, the more it's becoming um, less stigmatizing, becoming okay to see a therapist. Um, But I think there's just been a distrust with medical professionals in general um, in some faith communities and definitely within the the black, black and brown communities. Well, I can tell you, Yanetta, it's across most faith communities. Um, Mm -hmm. I I will, I grew up in evangelical um, and I Mm -hmm. remember those altar calls. And I remember even as a kid trying to lay down what I thought was major troubles and they never went away. And I, 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 my mom passed away in April of 2021. And um, I watched Mm -hmm. her as a 73 year old woman struggle with a lot of mental health depression. And, but she felt she was going to um, betray the church. If she reached out further, like she wouldn't, she barely would talk to a social worker. And then my dad um, has severe complex PTSD from war trauma. And it's just in the last several years that he's finally started reaching out and getting more support. So I, I, I'm amazed at your bridging that because it's a bridge that we must build for our faith-based communities. I've seen so many people struggle silently, um, mm-hmm. uh, come to church on Sunday with a smile on their face, but know that the struggle internally, because I was one of those people as well. So to see that bridge yeah. and the work that you're doing is really, really powerful. And it makes me think of a book that just came out. And I know she's probably going to be a guest on here. Um, her name, uh, the book is Trauma in the Pews. Um, and it talks mm-hmm. about just this. It talks about stigmatizing mental health and supports in churches and how churches can absolutely be a place of healing, right? And so mm-hmm. how do you see what your training is? And how do you see it being incorporated in faith-based processes? Maybe not even EMDR, but therapy in itself, right? What does that look like in the incorporation? Because community is there, which is a driving factor of healing, right? Connectedness, seeing, being heard. There's so much opportunity. But what do you see the role of therapy and even potentially some of the 
I know you said there's eight stages of EMDR, some of those, those um, basic therapeutic processes in a church setting. Yeah, absolutely. And, and part of the healing is happening already. There's just elements that may not necessarily be integrated into a um, spiritual, religious church experience. Absolutely. So one thing I noticed about um, church that it also correlates with EMDR is the bilateral stimulation, right? So bilateral stimulation is something that we use to help process the memories. And what that does is that mainly allows the left hemisphere of the right hemisphere of the brain to communicate. So when we experience trauma, uh, the corpus callosum, which is kind of like the bridge between the left and right hemisphere, goes offline. Right. So then it's not communicating with each other. So once the danger is in present, there are elements that are fragmented in our system and in our memory. Um, but bilateral stimulation helps to bring that together so that your brain can do what it naturally is capable of doing, which is process and heal trauma and distressful events. So in church, I know for us, you're evangelical. So you, you probably know there's something we do called shouting where we pick them up and put them down, <laughs> right? Um, and you, you're tapping your feet from left to right, right? So that's a form of bilateral stimulation. When you're clapping and swaying and rocking and singing, right? All of those things are forms of bilateral stimulation, which helps us to integrate and process things. Um, you know, a big component with EMDR is um, positive beliefs, right? So kind of thinking about some of the things that we sing about in a church setting or some of the things we say aloud or we chant or we shout or we, you know, um, praise or worship, all of those things have elements and components of EMDR, you know? So once I was trained in this, I started sitting back and looking and I'm like, wait a minute, some of this stuff we're already doing, <laughs> you know, but not having the space to really process the the actual trauma, you know, and really communicate what happened and understand that part. I think that's the part that's missing. And Ingrid, it makes me think too, and I would love to hear your thoughts on this. If we go back to the historical context of the mm -hmm. processes, especially when we're talking about the black church and how far these traditions go back, it speaks to the healing power of things that we know heal communities. And, and I like what you said is there's so many components there, but there's still that need, um, you know, that when you're talking about there's that need to, for some people to need that more. But I think about the historical mm -hmm. context of, of worship and spirituals and, and how the, those processes have healed people for, 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 for a long time. I mean, for, for, mm -hmm. for centuries. Yeah, absolutely. We're wired to heal. Like we, um, in EMDR, we kind of rest on the adaptive information processing system. And that kind of sets the tone that our system wants to heal. We're created to heal. If we cut ourselves, our body is going to do exactly what it needs to do to start to bleed, to clot, to create, you know, a scab or whatever the case may be. But emotional wounds require a different form of, of care. And sometimes we don't have space to give that to ourselves, especially in a lot of spiritual settings. Um, if I'm dealing with something or struggling with something, it's an indication that I lack faith, right? So if I can't quickly get over it or if I can't quickly, um, they call it, um, if you've heard of spiritual bypassing. So it's when I feel something painful and then I, I jump into the spiritual of saying, you know, quoting scriptures or saying, you know, what well, God is, you know, everything works for my good or just it, it kind of bypasses your opportunity to really feel and express and process the emotional part of it um, because it's seen as lacking faith sometimes for, for having a challenge, you know, with just being human. So I think if we gave our body space and time to really process those emotional wounds, then, you know, we can heal. And that's what EMDR shows me every single time. When you give someone space to process their trauma and process their distress, their system naturally gives them what they need and it naturally heals. Um, I couldn't make up some of the things that come from my clients once they go through this process is, is so powerful. 
Yeah, I, you know, even when you guys were talking before, it made me think about how um, so much of our church experience is tied to ritual and ritual really is um, kind of a, the lingering aspect of our indigenous experiences. So, um, mm-hmm. you know, how we naturally know as human beings how to heal ourselves. And mm-hmm. and I I think that that's so important to discuss when we think about kind of what it looks like today in, in, in churches, um, meditation, any mindfulness practice. And so that really resonates with me, our, our innate ability to heal. And if we just... Um, with a little help from trauma treatment and from people like you, Unetta, we can we can tap into that innate power that we have. I I think that it's important to talk about um, trying to actually kind of going back to the importance of um, addressing historical trauma um, with through trauma treatment. I think it's important for us to discuss kind of the stigma along the lines of um, you know how we are when it comes to churches, when it comes to, um, you know, the community, you know, kind of that's the positive, that connection is the positive, but it also comes with it. That's also the source of the stigma and and how we uh, treat each other um, in kind of church settings. And I think that it's important when we um, look at the big picture of this, that we acknowledge that as human beings, we all need to process our trauma. And this kind of leads me to an understanding of when we think about mental health care for all, you know, access in all different ways, not just access when it comes to maybe money or do you have a a counselor in your area, but also Mm -hmm. being able to kind of tear down those barriers that keep people from um, trusting the process or even um, believing that it's for them. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Not specific to kind of black and brown communities, but just historically how we see, you know, needing help when it comes to our mental health mm-hmm. and how we see it as separate from our physical health. Because like you said before, if you have a problem with your knee, you go to the doctor. But if you have something that is distressing to you, then you are least, you know, less likely to interact with mental health services. What can you tell our audience or anyone out there who is thinking about, you know, that they need mental health services and are hesitant for any host of those reasons? What can you tell those um, people listening as to why they should interact with trauma treatment? Yeah, yeah. Oh, man, you made some great points because I think it's a, a it's a cultural shift that has to happen, you know, and I think just historically we have culturally been taught that being strong is uh, suppressing our emotions, it's pushing through, it's showing up for others, it's being um, kind of like sacrificial, right? So it's giving to others and not pouring into ourselves. So a lot of the the cultural things that we've experienced just, you know, in this country, um, and then adding that extra component of that, the racial um, aspect of that as well, really doesn't tend or lead to us taking care of ourselves first, right? Or being able to, um, you know, go to uh, a mental health counselor. Culturally, the way we've always identified and explained mental health is like a straitjacket or that person that's, you know, walking up and down the street talking to themselves or, you know, the examples that we've seen just in the media and in our personal examples you know, in our familial um, examples have been mostly geared around severe and persistent mental illness. Um, But I don't think we've had many examples of maybe a more mild, you know, mental health issues or trauma or anxiety or depression, like seeing what those things look like. And I think the more we talk about it, the more we break the stigma And the more spaces that, you know, I love that it's in the media now, you know, uh, there's coverage with Prince Harry and him doing EMDR um, on Good Morning America. And more people are talking about it. And I think that's just how we tend to operate in this society once it becomes mainstream, once it becomes okay in that space, then people are more um, open to exploring their own mental health. 
Well, and I think too, it's important to realize there's also opposition against these conversations happening. You know, I came from public education and, and there's legislation where the use of social and emotional learning or identifying with your emotions and being able to have those five core competencies of social emotional learning. There's pushback. There's even pushback around trauma mm-hmm. informed education. So I think what I, and I, you said it so well was, you know, this has been culturally what the expectation is. Everybody needs to just pull themselves up and keep trudging onward. And yet there's such a pause right now. And I think we're in the midst of some opportunity because mental health of what you described as that depression, the anxiety, those conversations are now up front. And I think it's making mm-hmm. people nervous because um, right. it is becoming a conversation. So what do you see? What do you see moving forward in this in this opportunity around mental health? Because I believe there is one because we're talking more mm-hmm. about it now than than in my lifetime. So what do you yeah. see as an opportunity moving forward in the mental health space um, for not just those therapists, but for all of us working in this trauma space um, and supporting communities, people? Uh, around the work. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I see so many, um, so many needs and then so many opportunities to, to heal, right? To encourage um, people in all aspects, in, in every facet that anything that we touch, right? Whether it be um, career, whether it be like sports, whether it be in churches, um, anything that we are, pre- humans are present in, like really making mental health a part of that, that conversation and making it a priority um, and how we parent, right? What we teach our kids, um, just making it not separate from health, right? I think the more we can integrate mental health is health, uh, which is what ACEs is all about, right? Showing the impact of, you know, those traumatic experiences and how it impacts our health. I think the more we can integrate that, and the more we can get support um, in terms of funding and programs to be able to um, have places where people can go and get EMDR treatment and it's not, you know, outside of their price range or something they can't afford, you know, I think that's important. Um, you know, so I, I work to help train other clinicians so that they could go back into their communities and go back into their practices and integrate EMDR into their practices. Um, And, you know, I think that just the more we talk about it and the more we integrate programs and systems to normalize it, the better off we'll be. (laughs) Yeah, and I think one of the reasons why we really centered mental health right now is, is because of the COVID pandemic. Um, how is your what has your experience been as a therapist through this pandemic? And can you see changes in your um, in the community that you serve in your clients um, due to this pandemic? Yeah, the pandemic, I feel like, has been well, for one thing, that therapists didn't get a break. <laughs> so we didn't get a break. You know, most of us were busier than we've ever been before because everyone was like, I'm sitting with these these children and these spaces and I'm dealing with emotions and I'm not moving and everything that I've been dealing with that's been kind of suppressed is coming to the surface, right? So I think the demand for therapy has increased um, significantly since the pandemic. Um, but I'm also seeing, and this may be a derailing, but I'm also seeing some exploitation in that space as well. Um in terms of because we're talking about mental health more, a lot of people are kind of using that and, you know, to profit off of to some degree. Um, So, yeah, I I definitely think the conversation about mental health um, has been, you know, way more visible and present since the pandemic. And people are ready to like dig into their issues and sit on the couch and really get to the core of what's happening with them. And that's a good thing. And, and you know, I think, too, when it comes to this, I also think about um, the next generation. Um, I've spent I spent I spent years in schools and how kids are more willing to talk about, you know, what they're feeling and how they're feeling and, and looking at the bigger picture and thinking about self-care in a different way. 
Um, and, and that encourages me, right? It discourages some um, because of in order for the system to continue to operate the way it was, people must think mm-hmm. the way we've always thought. And so there's this disruption of even thinking about mental health when we're talking about the younger generation. And, and I think there's so much power in that, right? So if there's educators that would happen to be listening, or there's people who work in church, children's church, how do you how, what advice would you give them when they're, when they're talking to children um, around emotions and, and the feelings and how they're processing these? Because I think we don't train anybody, right? Adults aren't trained in this unless you are a therapist, but there's therapeutic things you can do without being a therapist. So what would you tell mm-hmm. someone in a congregation or, or an educator or a community member who is supporting someone who may be in that space of, um, of, of struggling? Yeah, yeah. I I think that's a great question um, because you don't have to be a therapist to be present, right? And I think I always go back to the breath, right? So really for everyone to notice, like when you get, if you see a kid that's like a child that's disruptive or having a hard time, you know, sometimes what we regurgitate is what we were taught to do, you know? So we have a hard time helping somebody else someone else having a hard time because nobody helped us through that space. We don't know how to navigate that emotional space. And one thing I always say is the goal is stabilization, whether it's functional or dysfunctional. So we just want to stabilize as humans. We just want to feel calm and uh, grounded and neutral and at peace. And if there's anything happening in our space that disrupts us, our natural inclination is to do whatever we need to do to make it stop immediately. Right. So in most cases, you have a disruptive child, quote unquote, disruptive, um, and, and you just want them to be quiet, to be still, you know, to to stop it. And it's really being able to identify, is this my dysregulation that I'm dealing with or it, am I attending to this child? Right. So I believe heavily in co-regulation. So regulated nervous systems regulate nervous systems. So if I can remain grounded, neutral, and calm and regulated, then that gives me a different perspective of what's actually happening. And I can attend to what what is in front of me and not be in the present moment, but focusing on something that happened behind me. Does that make sense? Absolutely. And that like warms my heart because that was the premise of everything as a principle that that we did it at the school that I led. We even taught breathing as a superpower to kids um, mm-hmm. and then talk to them about their nervous system and their brains and what happens when you breathe. So I think that's really mm-hmm. important because there's a lot of people that listen to our podcast that aren't therapists, right? But again, to, mm-hmm. to, to reiterate what you said is we can be therapeutic, but we don't have to know EMDR. We don't have to know specific processes. We just simply have to hold space um, and stay calm. I love the analogy of co-regulation is bringing someone into your calm and not being pulled into their storm. And really, that right. is a therapeutic process that you don't have to be trained to do. Um, and the power of breathing, uh, that that resonated with me so much because it's exactly what we were uh, trying to accomplish uh, at, at the school that I led. So that's powerful. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, you know, I really want to know kind of what you see for yourself as you move forward. What's in the future for you? What's your next steps? Yeah, so I just want to um, help as many folks as I can, right? And I realized I couldn't do that so much on a one-on-one setting. Um, so that's why I moved on to start uh, coaching with EMDR training. I'm training to also be a trainer, you know, to train other clinicians. I have my groundbreaking uh, coaching and consulting business where I help clinicians integrate um, EMDR into their practices, become certified, become consultants, um, so that and, and do it in a culturally aware manner, right? So we're also looking at race, identity, and culture and how that impacts and influences um, our traumatic experiences and integrating that with EMDR. So I'm doing that. Um, And then I also have a directory that I created just for BIPOC EMDR clinicians, because a lot of people are like, do black people and brown people do EMDR? Does it work for us? Absolutely. It does. Our bodies are the same. You know, our experiences may be vastly different, 
but the system and how our body processes information and functions is the same. So I want to make that readily available, you know, to people where they can find a clinician in their area um, that they feel safe to heal with. And ultimately, I in the future, I want to create something where people could get EMDR for free. Um, but I got to pay bills and live, so I can't do that right now. Uh, you know, that much. Um, <laughs> but that's the goal. Like, I feel like this is something that, you know, you shouldn't have to fight for your ability to heal and in safe spaces. Well, that is very exciting. I think especially, especially the free uh, trauma treatment part, <laughs> that is exciting. I hope that you are able to accomplish that goal. And, you know, as we we close out, we often like to ask questions um, that are kind of like, you know, where do you see this trauma field moving in the future? I know that COVID has really kind of accelerated the spotlight on this movement um, of not just um, adversity, but also positive childhood experiences. Uh, so what do you think is next for the field of mental health, the big picture? And um, and what do you think, you know, how is our awareness of trauma and adversity and toxic stress changing our society? Kind of the big picture. Yeah. Yeah. Big picture is, you know, I feel like what we do in therapy is a lot of unlearning and a lot of repairing ruptures. Right. So my hope is in the future that we will learn how to address those ruptures because they're going to they're going to happen like we're human. We're going to miss the mark. We're going to make mistakes. Things are going to happen. But how we address and deal with those um, situations plays a huge role in if something develops into trauma or not. Right. So you can have the same person, same child with the same experience. And it's not that they didn't have the experience. I always say trauma isn't what happened. It's the response to what happened. So if we can learn how to respond differently, right, if we can, if we can shift the culture in that way, then I think um, we'll be more mentally healthy. Well, that was certainly powerful. I love this. In therapy, we teach a lot of unlearning. And I think, mm -hmm. wow, I mean, that's, that is powerful because it's not just in individuals. We're trying to teach, we're trying to unlearn a lot of what is, and we talk about this extensively on this podcast, hence the name history, culture, trauma, right? We, we're talking about looking at the, looking at historical context and how we're having to unlearn so much of mm -hmm. what has been established and normalized in this country as our operating system. And when, as we realize and we go along, this isn't just individual work, right? This is collective work, right? This is a collective uh -huh. movement. And it's, it's powerful that we have to do this work and unlearn because I mean, I can tell you from my own experience here on this, on this podcast is I've learned so much of going, wow, mm -hmm. I never thought of it that way. Or wow, that's an idea that I need to take with me. Um, and I, I think it's not just in a therapeutic setting. This is cultural right? We have to unlearn a lot of what we've been taught. We've talked about capitalism and the impact that has had on cultures of people, right? The workers and, and how working yourself literally to death is, is expected. So I think that is right. something that I'm going to take away from this conversation of we're constantly unlearning, um, whether it's through an individual space or a, uh, a collective space that, that we have mm -hmm. to do things differently. Yeah, for sure. For sure. And, and knowing that we all, we, we're going to be learning for as long as we're alive, right? And we all have blind spots. And I think just being open and being curious about continuing to integrate, continuing to grow, continuing to learn, um, continuing to evolve, you know, if we stay open to that, because what trauma and anxiety wants us to close off to things that are unfamiliar, but really just being open to those things, I think that can be really impactful too when you're looking at historical, you know, trauma and culture and, you know, all of those things. Yeah, I, I, I really agree with that. I can see that kind of in our present day, that trauma, like you said, trauma kind of makes us want to close off 
and um, kind of reject, you know, the unknown or new. And I think that's Mm -hmm. a reflection of how the current collective trauma that we're in with COVID-19 has been so polarizing for us um, because Mm -hmm. uh, it has been a collective trigger and everybody is kind of digging in. And so I I really appreciate that um, your viewpoint on that. I believe that that is definitely correct. We have kind of dug in and become more polarized during this collective trauma. And so I definitely want to thank you, Yonetta, for joining us today. Um, Is there anything or anything you want to share with our audience before we go? Yeah, um, um, thank you all so much for having me on. This has been a pleasure. I've enjoyed talking with you and getting to know you. Um, I'm on social media all the time, okay? So (laughs) any of your followers, they can follow me on social media. Um, My website is JanettaSpring.com, and I have resources for, um, I have free resources for your self-care, and that's just for everybody. You can download it there. And then I also have some resources for EMDR therapists on there as well, Um, just like session checklists and check sheets and stuff like that. So um, I just encourage everybody to stay connected and um, grab your freebies and learn more about, if you're interested, learn more. Um, EMDR is amazing. It's amazing. It's been life-changing for me. So I want everybody else to have that experience. <laughs> yes. Thank you so much. Thank you, Unetta. And um, be sure to check out Unetta's um, resources Thank you for joining us, and we will definitely be on the lookout for you in the future. I'm sure we'll have you back to talk about more things. And, um, you know, we definitely encourage our audience, if you are in need, to definitely check out EMDR and other trauma treatments in general. Um, Mm -hmm. Your your mental health is no different from your physical health. And so we definitely um, charge everyone that can hear us to take care of themselves. Thank you so much, Yanetta, for joining us. Thank you for having me. Y'all take care. Thanks for listening to the show today. We hope we have helped to give you a better understanding of trauma and how historical trauma affects the human experience. Join us every Thursday at 1 p.m. Pacific time. We wish you a beautiful week.